One year ago today, critical care nurse Sandra Lindsay became the first American to receive a COVID-19 vaccine outside of a clinical trial. I trust the science, so I had no hesitation. There is hope. That was Sandra moments after receiving her first dose. Minutes later, Emergency Department Chairman Lenox Hill Hospital, Dr. Eve DeRusso, received his first dose. Today, we speak with both of them. Welcome to 20-Minute Health Talk. I'm your host, Rob Hoyle. Today, we'll also speak with Gregory Zuckerman, author of the new book, A Shot to Save the World, the inside story of the life or death race for a COVID-19 vaccine. He has written for the Wall Street Journal for the last 20 years and is a three-time winner of the Gerald Loeb Award, the highest honor in business journalism. Gregory, this book does an amazing job of laying out how much time, how much research went into developing mRNA technology, as well as antivirus vaccines like J&J. You interviewed 300 people and go into great detail about many of the researchers and scientists, not only their trials and tribulations, but their personal stories too. Why was this so important for you to tell their story? To me, this is the greatest modern day achievement of science. And frankly, I think we're a little too close to it to appreciate the enormity of it. And I thought it was important that people understand the history, the drama that took place and appreciate that it wasn't an overnight success. This was years, even decades in the making. In some ways, it's very, I think, reassuring for people. It wasn't something that was rushed in any way. These vaccine approaches were honed over years, literally. And there were a lot of stubborn scientists who ignored sort of conventional wisdom. They said, don't work on these approaches, mRNA and adenovirus approach. And I think when people get an understanding for the real story behind these vaccines, I think they appreciate them more. And in some ways, maybe they're reassured by that process, too. Yeah. And for Sandra, for you, it was you, you rolled your sleeve right up. You were anxious to get the shot. Why were you so willing to be the first person to do this? Well, I, I volunteered to be vaccinated, not knowing that I would be the first. But to Gregory's point, I did my research as well. And, you know, appreciated the fact that this wasn't brand new, came out of nowhere. It's been decades in the making. And so I think that it was I thought that it was important for me to protect myself because I entered the building every day in fear, courageous, but in fear. And um, to send a message to my staff that I wouldn't do anything that I wouldn't ask them to do, to set an example, to set an example for my community and to protect my loved ones. Yeah. Dr. DeRosa, what was going through your head in the moments leading up to you getting your vaccine? I, I share a lot of the same sentiments that Sandra did. And I, I went through the same, same exact exercise of, of educating myself. Um, I came across some podcasts of um, the, the scientists uh, who, who eventually worked with Pfizer. I thought they had such an amazing immigrant story. I, I just found it very fascinating. And I, I, I share the same immigrant uh, experience. And so, you know, the biggest thing for me was to be to be a role model uh, because I knew that on the back end, there would be a lot of hesitancy and there would be a big push for us to really uh, get people to uh, use this vaccine that was perceived as maybe newish, uh, but knowing that it, it's not necessarily uh, the truth. Um, and also just having lived through it you know, on, on the front lines with my staff, uh, with our nurses and, and doctors, I, I thought as a leader, uh, you know, I had almost an obligation to really uh, say, this is, this is our first hope uh, to really getting out of this misery. And uh, for those various reasons, I, I, I was 
more than elated uh, to, to be part of the first wave of vaccination. That's awesome. This was something that was broadcast on national television, probably around the world. Gregory, where were you at this moment? And what was going through your mind? So I was um, rooting for the vaccine researchers and I was appreciative of the volunteers. You guys are really uh, courageous. You're heroes. Um, as were so many people along the way. There's a courageous scientist I write about in China who shared the sequence. Maybe there were all kinds of reasons not to share the sequence of this virus. And he did anyway. And it allowed us to develop these vaccines. There were scientists deep in laboratories I write about all over the country, all over the world even, who are making progress for years on approaches. And they, people told them not to. They were resilient. They were persistent. They were stubborn. Um, and they kept at it. And we owe a lot of gratitude to them. And then last year, the urgency, the people that I talked to within Moderna, within BioNTech, Pfizer, all the companies, the government researchers as well, the academic researchers, they were focused. They were all in on trying to get us vaccines that were effective and protective and roll them out as quickly as possible. So my story is about their heroism. And um, there was a lot of more drama than I had expected. Gregory, you write that the COVID-19 vaccines are arguably one of humankind's proudest moments, yet there are still skeptics of mRNA technology. Based on the research you did for this book, what would you say to a skeptic? So to me, um, and I've speak, spoke, give a lot of speeches and such, there are two types of skeptics. There are people that say Bill Gates implanted a chip in our brains, and you're never really going to rationalize um, with those kinds of people. But there are other people that say to me, well, Greg, uh, didn't I read in your book that the average vaccine takes 10 years and the fastest one until 2020 was four years? That was mumps. And here you are telling me in your book, Greg, that in 330 days from the time the sequence was released until the first authorization of a vaccine, that's all it took for these COVID vaccines. What, aren't, I, I should be nervous. And frankly, I might be a little wary if I hadn't done this research but part of the reason I did this research and wrote this book is to reassure in that, yes, there was years of research going into these approaches, but also in 2020, what we did for the first time is we did things simultaneously. Historically, you, you develop a, a vaccine and that takes a long time. You test it and you manufacture it. Why would you manufacture a vaccine and spend billions and millions of dollars before you know it's ready to go and it's authorized and it's safe? But we did last year because there was a lot of money from the government, from investors. For the first time we made a bet that these vaccines would work and it worked out well, but it's important that people know that nothing was rushed. We didn't cut corners as, as my colleagues on this call can attest. There were people rolling up their sleeves and volunteering thousands of people, tens of thousands of people. So in some ways, at least for me as a skeptic, as a journalist, uh, my research and my book was reassuring for me personally. Dr. DeRosa, when you got your shot, I think at that time, th over 300,000 Americans had died. So again, what do you tell people who, you know, that, that don't trust the vaccine? So look, I, you know, I kind of approach it like I, I've done uh, as a physician all, all, all my career. You, you know, it, it's not a, um, a novel concept that people refuse to do what we recommend. There are people who don't take their diabetic medication. There are people that don't take their hypertensive medications, that people don't exercise. And so I really try to approach it with empathy and understanding. Yeah. Um, Rob, if yeah. I just may sure. add, I think that's a really important point, um, approaching it from a place of empathy. Um, because if you don't, you're going to lose some people who you could 
otherwise influence and not, you know, vaccine shame anyone, but really try to understand what is driving their decisions not to get vaccinated. You'd be surprised at what you learn. Yeah. You know, Gregory, it not only is this book, you know, talk about all the research, but it's kind of gives us a history of, of vaccines. In the beginning of the book, you're talking about smallpox. When did you start your research? When did you start writing this book? Was it at the beginning of the pandemic or was it when the vaccine was, was authorized? No, I started early on in the hope that it would work. And frankly, it gave me um, hope myself. I was deep in my basement, locked down like everybody else. Um, life looked kind of bleak. And here I heard about this company, Moderna. And to me, it was unexpected. It shouldn't have been Moderna to step up in companies like BioNTech in Germany and some of the other people that I write about in companies and efforts that I write about in my book. You would have thought it'd be the vaccine giants, Merck. Uh, Merck makes the MMR vaccine we're all familiar with, uh, GSK, Sanofi. And yet it wasn't those characters and scientists and characters and companies who stepped up, which I found kind of fascinating. So I decided to track them and get inside those efforts, talk to the researchers, talk to the executives, talk to the investors, talk to the scientists. And I was hoping, like everybody else, that it would work. And I decided to, in real time, kind of track um, the drama behind the scenes. And um, it was a privilege for me to understand, to talk to them. And they shared with me along the way. They realized it was something historic. And I think um, they wanted to explain it and make sure people understood. So I was sort of, in some ways, the vehicle um, to explain it to the world, hopefully. Yeah. You know, Sandra, I don't think you were ever expecting what your life would become after you got that first vaccine. You've been to the White House. Your scrubs are going to the Smithsonian. You're the grand marshal of the New York City Heroes Parade. What is it like one year later on the anniversary of that shot heard around the world? <laughs> so my life has changed significantly. Um, after that shot, I was, you know, kind of immediately... Um, plunged into this somewhat of a public figure. But um, it's a position that I, I take with a lot of humility and gratitude, and I don't take it lightly. Um, as you mentioned, since then, I've had several different platforms to share my experience and to really be an activist and educator to get people protected. So I'm honored to um, hold this place in history. Yeah, that moment really catapulted you into the public eye. But tell us about some of the challenges you faced and how you dealt with it. So while I was dealing with the crisis, um, I also faced some skepticism. You know, people would say I'm just being used as a guinea pig. Um, it's back to the historical days where they're using black people for experiments. Um, so I've had to explain that to people as well. But, you know... I, I never get upset. Instead, I use take the opportunity to educate people. Yes, I'm well aware of what has happened in the past. And, you know, I share with people some of the safeguards that have been put in place since. And, you know, the question then is that I ask, when do we start this healing process? When do we start trusting again? Dr. DeRosa, I'm just curious, have you faced any of that, um, you know, blowback? like what I mentioned? Oh, absolutely. But I think I have the same DNA as you do. It's, it's, it's okay. And at fundamentally, at the end of the day, I, I, I would do this a hundred times over. I knew I did the right thing. Um, I knew it wasn't uh, based on, uh, I knew it was based on science. 
And the, the other thing that I, I realized very, um, you know, most people didn't have the opportunity to, to speak to a healthcare professional uh, one-on-one, right? Remember, we're in the midst of, of COVID. Yeah, there was telemedicine, but no one was just calling to say, oh, to the doctor or nurse, what do you, what do you think about uh, the vaccine? So I took every opportunity and I said, look, you know, where are you getting your information from? They would tell me. And I was like, well, these are better resources. And I'm a physician. I'm, I'll sit down and I want to hear out. Let's have a conversation because this might be your one opportunity to speak to a healthcare provider. Otherwise, they're talking to their friends, they're on social media, et cetera. That's awesome. Dr. DeRosa, what's it like for you on the one-year anniversary? Oh, well, you know, look, I, I still, like Sandra, was, was um, very proud to have been part of that moment. Um, you know, the other group that I, I think I, I always, I'm always more actually more fascinated by um, the 45,000 or so that were part of the Pfizer and then the Moderna arm. I, those, those folks really intrigue me. I think they're really the, the, the real heroes who they had nothing to look back on and say, oh, this is going to work. So I think, you know, we, we need to acknowledge them. I completely, if I could interrupt, I completely agree. Um, and I've talked to some of those people and I've thanked them and I tell their story a little bit in my book and I, I couldn't agree more. Um, they, they volunteered, stepped up when things were looking all, all harsh and bleak. And um, it wasn't clear. These were new um, approaches that hadn't been proven before. Yet, yes, they've been honed over years and there was a lot of confidence at the companies among the researchers, but we didn't know for sure. So l- luckily tens of thousands of them did step up and roll up their sleeves. When this vaccine was released, it wasn't like that was it. They were done. They went home because they knew that there might be other variants and they knew that they might be called to, to, to research other things. And when those variants came out, they were right on top of it. Yeah, they've been looking for a moment to, to, to breathe and to relax and they haven't gotten there. Um, they've needed to go out to produce first to develop the vaccines and then produce, manufacture them. And then they've been worried about new variants and we've they've emerged, unfortunately. So they've had to prepare new vaccines for the variants. We haven't needed them until now. We'll see what happens with this new variant, Omicron, um, whether they need to develop a new vaccine. But that hasn't prevented them from having to prepare for the potential for tweaking their vaccine. And the beautiful thing about these mRNA vaccines, but the adenovirus vaccines also, which produce the J&J vaccine, is you can adjust them. It may take a little while, a matter of weeks or maybe even months, but it's a new age. These are new types of vaccines. They're much faster than the past. So while I'm concerned about the future in terms of new variants and the evolution of this vaccine, of this virus, and we, we really, um, until people are really all vaccinated, we're going to have to keep worrying about new variants, but I don't want people to be discouraged. I'm very encouraged because the science has evolved to the point where um, we can develop tweaks, we can improve these vaccines really quickly, and it's a new world, a new age of vaccines. So that should be very encouraging for people. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Gregory, in the book, you attempt to um, address a few questions, including why uh, were unheralded scientists the ones who saved civilization? Uh, Perhaps you can answer one question a little bit. Telling us about Katie Carrico. Sure. Katie Carrico is a researcher who she was at the uh, University of Pennsylvania, and she was very focused, even obsessed with mRNA, this approach using this molecule called messenger RNA. We develop it in a laboratory, and the idea is to send an instruction to the body to create a protein. And in her view, mRNA could be used for vaccines, for drugs, to 
help people, uh, to save people even. And no one believed her. She was among the few. She was the only one, but a few people around the world, and I write about them, who had this belief and this determination to develop these vaccines. Now, they, in some ways, were um, running a relay race, and they were running a leg. That was a really important one, but they handed the baton to others. We needed a series of people. There aren't sort of like these eureka moments that you can imagine where one person comes up with some great idea in some lab and the rest is history. Instead, there's slow progress, but we needed people like Katie Carrico to ignore the skepticism and persist. And frankly, we have a whole debt um, that we owe to people like Katie Carrico for ignoring the skeptics. We always like to end on a positive note here on 20 Minute Health Talk. Gregory, I'll start with you. What gives you hope? What gives you optimism going forward? Oh, I'm very optimistic. I know these researchers and I know that this success that they've had with COVID-19 is just the first step, the first chapter, as it were, for a lot of them. They're tr- they're tr- they've turned their attention to things like cancer, to MS, to lupus, uh, to malaria, other kinds of diseases, AIDS even. And I'm not to say that I'm, I'm not going to say that I'm, I'm optimistic. I'm, I'm, I'm confident, but I'm, but I'm hopeful. I think these are some of the most intractable diseases and illnesses mankind has experienced. And we've, we've seen through COVID-19 that these approaches can work. So I'm going to bet on these researchers that I write about. Um, I have a lot of confidence in their determination, their innovation, their persistence. So I can't wait for the years ahead to see what they can tackle. That's awesome. Dr. DeRosa, what gives you hope and optimism going forward? Well, I have a few, and I think it's a little selfish on my, my part, but um, I hope that we get some more talent in, in healthcare and, and folks have seen all these great advancements and we get the youth to get really involved and engaged in science. I, I think, you know, what we've done, we, we're, we're talking about the vaccines. We've also came up with monoclonal antibodies. We also came up with a, a oral medication now for an unprecedented amount of time. And, and I think that, you know, that makes me very uh, hopeful about the future. And one more piece I will say is um, how this time has really highlighted the health disparities uh, that we see. People would hear about it and kind of, you know, we don't take it seriously. We just think it's a, a, a term that folks, academics throw around. But to really see the true impact that this, um, this, this virus had on disproportionately to, you know, uh, certain groups of, of, of our society I think hopefully that's something we will continue to recognize that we have to make improvements uh, in. Awesome. Sandra, what gives you hope? What gives you optimism going forward? I see that big grin on your face. (laughs) Well, I'm happy and um, feel um, indebted to Katie Karuko, who did not give up because it's because of her. While Why perhaps, you know, I'm sitting here today. Um, But what gives me more hope is these brilliant scientists who are committed um, to this work. And also, now that, um, unfortunately, I would say that this pandemic has affected the whole world, perhaps now we can begin to work together because we're really one world. If a virus or a disease is anywhere, it's everywhere. That's one thing we've learned. So I am hopeful that we can come together as one world and really work together for global health. That's awesome. Well, Sandra Lindsay, Dr. Eve DeRoso, Greg Rizakman, author of the book, A Shot to Save the World. Thank you so much for joining us on 20 Minute Health Talk. I'm Rob Hoyle. Have a great day and stay safe. 
Get more expert insight from some of the leading voices in healthcare today. Subscribe to 20 Minute Health Talk on Podbean, Pandora, Spotify, iTunes, and wherever you get your podcasts.